Um, so first memory, I would say probably being out on the farm, um, out in my welly boots, running around the yard, going out, <laughs> seeing the calves and helping my dad out. Um, I think that would be one of the main things, just being out in the outdoors and um, with my brothers and my dad. Yeah, that's amazing. What uh, <laughs> what color of welly boots did you have? Oh, good question. I think my first pair of welly boots were pink. <sighs> Love it. And I'm pretty sure they were. <laughs> and then I moved on to navy and more like as I became more of a tomboy. I think I moved on to <laughs> kind of more more neutral colors. <laughs> That's awesome. So I mean, obviously you moved to Belfast now, um, but mm-hmm. you know, did you enjoy that kind of you know farm life? Did you enjoy that kind of like environment growing up? Oh yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, it was class being out in the country and having having the garden, having the fields and. I just loved the space and the quiet of it all. Um, so I suppose moving to Belfast was quite a quite a change for me. Absolutely. And like even now, um, living in Belfast, I always do go and I find the green areas and go for walks <laughs> along along the towpath and go to the parks and yeah, try to try to find that bit of country within the city. So it's brilliant. I mean, yeah. there's something to be said about the color green and uh, being outside. Like definitely. Oh, totally. Yeah, I, I think you need that. Um, you need a bit of a bit of fresh air and, and a bit of greenery to to get you get you going. <laughs> I remember reading like I don't know if it was some sort of like I don't know why the heck I was reading this. This isn't my usual like bedtime reading content, but it was something to do with, like city planning and how like loads of like psychologists had discovered just how important the color green was, even for just like regulating our mood and like instilling a sense of like well being in us. And so all over the place now, they're trying to put as much kind of green spaces as possible in these kind of more urban environments where we don't have it. But we are lucky in Northern Ireland, even our big smoke Belfast has got some great green spaces like. Yeah, even if you go like not even a mile outside of the city, like there's so much um, green space. And I suppose you've the likes of Cave Hill um, and all the parks and everything. And I, I can totally see where they're coming from with the colour green. Like I, I totally think it makes makes a difference to, to me and... Like you could be in the worst mood ever and then go out for a walk um, in the outdoors and just be in a completely different place an hour later. So, yeah, it's it's great. It's awesome. Um, so for anyone who's just jumped in and just kind of like tuned in and we're listening and we're like, what the heck? Where the heck are we? Uh, hello. Welcome to Best of Belfast. We have the absolute privilege of chatting to Claire McLaughlin today. Claire is a 28 year old junior doctor originally, like we said, just from outside Bush Mills. Good old glorious bush mills and uh now living in belfast playing rugby for ireland and um holding down a medical career at the same time which is just madness and uh i suppose just like before we jump into um some of the aspects of your career and some of the lessons that you've kind of learned along the way i'd love to kind of i was so shocked to read in, in some of the stuff you sent through before that you were rubbish at sports or you didn't like sports growing up <laughs> Yeah, like at primary school, um, I really wasn't very good at, at any sort of sports. And I suppose we maybe didn't have that many sports on offer. Um, like I went to a wee country school and like football was kind of the main sport. And I would always get thrown in nets because I just, I was not coordinated in the slightest. <laughs> <laughs> so like running, kicking, couldn't do any of that. Um, my only real skill or thing I was good at at primary school was the monkey crawl. Ooh. So that was the thing. Every every sports day, 
I was like, yes, I'm going to win the monkey crawl again. I know I've got it this year. <laughs> so can you explain to, to some of the people listening what the monkey crawl is? I don't know how universal that, that is. <laughs> oh, does everyone not know what the monkey crawl is? <laughs> um, <laughs> so basically, you're just down on all fours. And it's, it's basically just a race, get from one end of the field to, to the other. Love it. Um, and I guess that's that's coming useful for me now within rugby. That sort of position Absolutely. is really useful in, in being a forward. So, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I really wasn't very good at sports and wasn't overly interested in sports, I guess. It's interesting, isn't it? School. Um, it was, yeah, it was really whenever I, I went to secondary school then, I got into playing hockey and I actually got playing football and did a bit of athletics as well. Um, and from there, I suppose that's where my my love of sport began. It's amazing. Uh, I'm curious though, like, kind of as you started to, you know, you move away from primary school, and you know, you start to specialize a bit more, both uh, in your sport and in your kind of studies. Was there ever a tension between your academic side to your school and your athletic side? Um, when I was at school, I don't think there really was. Um, I didn't. I didn't find it difficult to to balance the two. Um, like every evening after school, I would have either had some form of of training, whether it was hockey or or football, or even going to orchestra or choir. Like I had something nearly every day after school, and um, but I was still able to to keep up with my studies. And I, like I would have been pretty diligent with with the academic side of things as well, because I kind of always knew I wanted to be a doctor, and I knew I, I wanted to be the best in my class at everything so <laughs> I kind of always had that drive to to go home and do my homework and do the revision and everything and um, so yeah I suppose I didn't really notice um having any difficulties with trying to fit in the two at that point it's awesome so talk to me a bit about the the discipline that's required to kind of keep multiple plates going because like you said like there's some people like yourself who find that pretty natural and actually can even thrive off having like different things going at the one time but how important has a sense of discipline been in your life where do you think that discipline came from how has that served you kind of going forward into adulthood and um, yeah I guess discipline is something that I have had from a young age um, and I suppose it's from from my parents um, my dad was always really hard working he's a farmer and also had like a business on the side doing um, fencing wow. so he was he was pretty busy the whole way through, and he's probably one of the people that kind of inspired me and um, has really taught me a lot about hard work and like work work ethic and discipline. So, and then my mom as well, like she was working as a teacher as the three of us were growing up. So, I suppose I was brought up in a family where everyone was working hard, and you were always trying to to better yourself and and do as much as you could to be the best version of yourself. Um. So yeah, like from a young age, I was I was pretty disciplined. Like every year, even in primary school, I wanted to be winning the prizes on on prize day. And, <laughs> um, so yeah, it just had like an inner drive within me to try and um, be the best version of myself, and that's kind of what's come through my whole life now. Um, being able to try and um, balance lots of different interests and and trying to to be the best in each each different part there's awesome. definitely been difficulties there's <laughs> definitely been been tough parts i'd say the past the past few years since i've been at uni it definitely has been 
a lot more difficult to try and um, keep all the plates spinning. Um, and I've had to learn a lot about organisation and how to prioritise things. And I definitely have um, failed a lot of times at that <laughs> and probably tried to take on too much at times. But no, it's been a learning process. And um, I think I now have a good balance and I'm able to do everything that I enjoy. So That's great. So in your current kind of system, um, global pandemic aside, which obviously throws a spanner in everyone's works, um, how have you gone or how do you go about making sure that you get that balance right so that you're not overloading yourself, but you're also not kind of like understimulating yourself? Like, do you have like a, a way that you work your calendar? Do you have a way that you kind of like figure out what your priorities are in each season? Talk to us a little bit about that. Maybe it's a lot more kind of free flowing than that. Um, yeah, so usually like pandemic aside, like if, if we were in a normal um time right now I would usually be sitting down at the start of each week and planning out what exactly I had going on during the week so I would um, work out my, my shift pattern work out when I would do all my training sessions and then outside of that I would then work out when I could socialize or do other little bits that I wanted to do um, at the mo- moment I suppose it is a bit more free-flowing just because everything's a wee bit up in the air and slightly different but yeah, I think recently over the past number of years, I've had to learn that um, resting and recovering is really important. Mm. Um, I'm the sort of person that gives 100% at everything that I do. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I think means that I go overboard on things and I'll work myself to the bone and I'll try and do all the training sessions. So even like especially looking back at my first year of work I was working full-time so I was working like silly hours each week and um, working long days weekends nights and then trying to do all of the training um, and go to Dublin at the weekends for for training and, and that was in the run-up to the World Cup so yeah. I was just I was trying to do way too much at that time and I completely burnt out by the end of it so I think from that experience I've kind of learned that Given 100% is, is good most of the time, but sometimes 100% doesn't mean doing more and training harder and working more, but being kind of smarter about how you use your time. Yeah. Um, and I guess that time kind of allowed me to learn what my limits were um, and see where where I maybe needed to change my priorities a bit. So, yeah, it's it's been a pretty steep learning curve over the past few years yeah. of, of working and, and playing rugby, so... And I mean, that's the, I think that's the battle um, a lot of us are trying to fight kind of in this modern, exciting, opportunity, plentiful kind of, uh, you know, season that we're, we're all kind of living through. How do you, you know, obviously the end goal is obviously to try and prevent burnout as much as possible. And, um, you know, you've, you've talked how you, you go about doing that. But what about that moment you know, whenever you're in a real funk and you you are burnt out and you you have got sort of the, to the end of yourself, is there something that you have found that kind of helps you bounce back from that? Is there um, anything that has allowed you to kind of dig deeper in those moments or even just practically a plan that you put in place to get back to um, a, a, a state where you have more to give and you're, you're more kind of whole again? Uh- 
Um, yeah, I guess there's, there's a few things that I, I usually end up doing when I get to that point. So um, usually I find that I need to take a bit of time out to myself. So I'm quite an introvert. So I feel that I need me time quite <laughs> often to, to get my energy back up again. Um, so I enjoy like just going for walks, spending time on my own um, and just rebuilding my, my energy that way. But then as well as that, I have a faith. So that's something that I really lean on, um, not just in times of of struggling, um, but it's something that, that really um, is there throughout, throughout all of my life. And I suppose it means that like I have my identity in Jesus. And when I do have these, these tough times, it's, it is difficult, but I have something so secure and unchanging in him that when things go wrong or whenever I'm finding things tough, I, I have him to lean on. So yeah, that's something that I think, um, it, it goes throughout, throughout my life and, and is really helpful whenever I am struggling. Yeah. Fascinating. Talk to me about walking. I like these questions are so random, but I, I, I these are kind of just like things that like you're totally talking like my kind of language. Like I'm, I'm curious in this sort of, uh, you know, this sort of stuff. And I think you know a lot of people are kind of feeling burnt out and stuff. But uh, I recently have just kind of rediscovered my love for walking and my love for oh, I'm feeling a bit tired. You know, I'm feeling a bit sluggish. Maybe I'm feeling a bit low. And instead of like, you know, the natural response of maybe being to like, you know, to sit down or to lie down, actually getting outside and going for even just that short wee walk. So, I mean, do you have like a certain walk you go on? Do you like to listen to podcasts when you walk? Do you like to think when you walk? <laughs> um, I suppose a mixture of all of those. Um, there's sometimes I like to go for walks and just listen to the birds and listen to nature i know that sounds a bit heavy, but <laughs> it's okay um, we're, we're in the iffy, we're in iffy territory because of me so don't worry <laughs> <laughs> yeah so sometimes i'll do that sometimes i'll listen to a podcast sometimes i'll listen to music um i guess a go-to walk of mine would be um the towpath just down oh, by yeah. cutter's wharf walking from there and um, i'm just going around i think it's about a 5k walk um, sometimes I would run it, but I'd probably prefer walking it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I love just getting out into into nature and walking along the river. And I like like being out and, and seeing people whenever I'm on the walk and mm. you know having a bit of interaction as well. I don't think I would enjoy going out a walk and being completely isolated, Yeah, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. And so, there, there is something nice about that little, I don't know, I kind of in my head call it like village life interaction, you know, where you see the same person walking the dog or you see such yeah. and such with their, you know, with their kids. And you're just kind of like, even if you don't have a, a super close relationship with them, just that wee Northern Irish nod, like, I don't know, it, it's, it's, it's quite nice. <laughs> yeah, no, there is definitely something nice about that. It's awesome. So back on track here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you said when you were a kid, you always wanted to be a doctor. How did that come about? Can, is there any sort of way you can trace where that passion came from and why do you think you were able to stick to it? Because I mean, I think every, every kid pretty much at one point either says they're going to become a fireman, an astronaut, a builder or a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so true. what about you? Like wh where did that come from and, and why do you think it stayed? 
So, like, I remember whenever I was younger with my teddy bears, I would always have gone and got bandages and, like, wrapped them around my teddy bear's arms and legs. And <laughs> it's, honestly, I'm not sure where that came from. Um, but I was always interested in, like, injuries and, like, helping, obviously, my teddies at that point. But <laughs> um, I would have watched, like, Holy City and Casualty and... I suppose those two programs were kind of what made me think, oh yeah, that's what I want to do. And like really looking back at those programs, that's not actually what that <laughs> <is> at all. <laughs> oh. um, but yeah, like, yeah, growing up, I suppose those were the sort of things whenever I was really young that kind of shaped my, my career aspirations. Like there was a stage where I wanted to be a pink Power Ranger, but oh, yeah. um, that never really materialized welly boots though <laughs> rather than like the white ones <laughs> oh yes yeah 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 <laughs> um but yeah I, I guess I always kind of had the feeling that I wanted to help people I know that's really cliche but um yeah I, I I did always just want to be able to go out and make a difference um and going through even secondary school there wasn't really anything else that I thought that I really wanted to do in my life as a career um I did have a few thoughts going through maybe that I could have done music but then for me music was more, more of a hobby so and um, yeah no medicine was kind of the only thing going through that, that I really wanted to do wow do you still play piano yeah yeah I do I don't play as much as I I should and I really want to but um it's probably something that I need to make a wee bit more time for and <laughs> um, but yeah no I do I do still play and um, played out a few friends with it's awesome. Mate, there's something about the wee, the wee multi-discipline, multi-interest that I just think is brilliant. It just adds uh, adds like a fullness to life. And, you know, <laughs> for me anyway, the way I kind of see it is, well, if so, if one part of your life starts going, you know, as it becomes challenging, you have like the other parts to, to enjoy and kind of yeah, find something else to fall back on. A, a bit of yeah. refuge in, you know. So, yeah, super cool. Talk to me about then kind of the inevitable question here. Uh, I feel like it would be wrong not to, not to go here. Um, what has your last few weeks, your last two months sort of looked like? Because, uh, you know, just like we were saying there, the sport side to your life has perhaps slowed down uh, a bit. Uh, maybe yeah. that's an understatement. And, the you know, the opportunity to, to use that medical side has obviously increased exponentially. So we'd just love to hear kind of what's been going on. Yeah, well, I suppose I'm working in um, A&E in the Ulster Hospital. Um and like two months ago at the start of all this, it was kind of, it was kind of exciting in a way. I know that's probably not the right word to use. No, but I totally get it. It was the, the unknown of everything um, was kind of exciting. And like, it was nerve wracking as well because we just didn't really know what was going to happen. And there were changes every day in the department and everyone was kind of like a bit anxious with what we might face mm. and like when when might the surge be and are we going to be completely overwhelmed or what's actually going to happen here um but the way it turned out like it was really quite quiet for the first couple of weeks and first probably the first month actually um like a and e we'd gotten used to it being completely bonkers yeah. the, <laughs> the waiting room would have been packed full of people the a and e department there wouldn't have been any space to actually speak to patients and examine them people were lying on trolleys sitting in chairs waiting for beds in the hospital it was just it was just a bit mental um 
so to go from that to then it being so quiet there only being a handful of people waiting to be seen we were kind of fighting for work to do um and it was just it was a bit eerie to be honest um at that point but now over the past couple of weeks it's definitely picked up a lot and kind of got back to normal and obviously with the added difficulties of having covid and having to deal with covid and wearing the ppe and obviously there's there's a lot of people and families with difficult circumstances and really sad circumstances so um yeah it it has been tough and challenging on on different levels um and i guess people are are pretty scared to come to hospital and i think that's what we were experiencing initially Mm. there were people who were maybe staying at home who should have been coming to the department and and now those people are kind of returning now that covid has kind of become a more normal thing people are used to it now they kind of understand a bit more about it and they're now coming to to any again with their problems so yeah it's definitely it's back to being pretty busy again and so yeah that's been the hospital over the past couple of months and and then yeah i guess with regards to sport it's just come to a standstill um our our six nations campaign kind of got cut short mm. we were meant to play france and italy there in the last two two legs of it and um, so we've still got them to play at some point whenever that might come so yeah it's it's all a bit up in the air at the moment uh we're we're still training away we're doing gym and running sessions and for me i'm doing a lot of rehab at the minute i had an ankle injury last year and it's almost coming up on on a year since I had surgery on my ankle so yeah I haven't actually played a huge amount of rugby over the past 12 months I've only played two and a half matches (laughs) because of my ankle so it's been a really frustrating season for me and on on a personal level COVID has kind of come at a good time um for me and my rugby and rehab because I kept getting tempted to go back to rugby too quickly before my ankle was ready. So I just kept flaring my ankle up. So this has kind of come at the perfect time where I don't have that um, temptation to to go back and I'm just focusing on trying to get my ankle. Yeah. 100%. So hopefully once rugby comes back, then I'll be, I'll be good to go. (laughs) So, I mean, like it, you know, it, it says that, you know, you sent through and you said that you're a junior doctor. So, are you on the training program at a slightly um, slower paced rate than other people, or are you going at it full time? You know what what way does that kind of work with the rugby? Yeah, so I worked full time for my first year of work, and then the year that we had the World Cup in twenty seventeen, I took a year out, um, and during that year, I basically dedicated the first couple of months just to rugby. Um, and then started to locum. Then I went back into my foundation training again and worked part-time then because I just knew trying to do rugby and work full-time as a doctor, it just totally. didn't work for me. <laughs> You'd learn from so, some of your, your previous errors. I like that. <laughs> definitely, yeah. Um, so no, since since then, I have been working um, part-time pretty much. And essentially from December, I've been locuming. So I finished my foundation training. So within medicine, we do two years of foundation training. So I'd finished that in December and now have been locuming in A&E 
So that means I can pick and choose my shifts and it means I can be more flexible with how much I work and when I work, which again is perfect for trying to fit in rugby. And it means I don't have to do swaps with people for weekends off. (laughs) If I have a week where I know we have a big match coming up, I can just work two shifts rather than than working a lot of shifts so you know at the moment I'm working three to four shifts um in A&E so that's 10 hour shifts so we're working about 40 hours a week mm. um which is is perfect it's just the right amount I it's think amazing. at the minute to be able like to do training and freelance medicine <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> yeah so it's great that I have the opportunity to do that I know a lot of jobs and a lot of the girls on on the rugby squad are working full-time jobs some of them are working part-time to try and balance the two but no I feel really privileged to be able to do that with my with my job it's great has there been any kind of either examples or I suppose like um principles that either your medicine has helped you be a better athlete or your Ability as a sportswoman has helped you be a better doctor, if that makes sense. I'm interested to see yeah. how like the two disciplines um, kind of filter into each other and feed each other. Yeah, no, I think there's there's so many um, skills and attributes within each different um, career, I suppose, um, that really, yeah, they, they really merge um, quite well. So I guess I've learned a lot through rugby about teamwork and leadership and communication and those are things that are so important within the medical career as well and and then I think I've learned a huge amount through my rugby and through experiences and with dealing with disappointment and dealing with difficulties and in I suppose resilience um, and how to how to cope with things and like that definitely feeds across into into being a doctor as well because you're constantly dealing with difficult things and and difficult circumstances yeah and i guess like there's even that reality of um you know like in a in a match you can kind of leave it all out on the field and and really give it your best and still lose the game and uh in quite a sober in a way way, i suppose like that's also experienced in in the medicine world whenever you're faced with patients who are incredibly sick as well yeah yeah definitely crazy so there's a couple of um, kind of stock questions that we uh, we like to ask kind of every person we have the chance to, to talk to. And uh, maybe this one will, will kind of tie into this, but uh, it's a huge question, so apologies. But uh, always, always love to hear people's response. And simply, you know, out of everything you've experienced so far, is there something or a moment that you could define as your greatest challenge? And um, if so, and if you don't mind sharing, how were you able to overcome that? Oof, that is a big question. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> <laughs> um, one specific moment. Yeah. A season, yeah, really, um, whatever way you want to take this. Um, I would say probably the World Cup in 2017 was probably one of my biggest challenges um like it was one of the best things that I thought I would be involved in um and like so that that world cup was in August of 2017 
And that was at the end of my first year of work. So the whole year and the run up to that was kind of all geared towards training and hopefully being selected for the World Cup. And throughout that year, as I said, I kind of worked myself to the bone. Like I was working stupid hours and I was training probably too much. Mm. <laughs> and then managed to get myself selected for the World Cup squad. So there were 28 of us um, involved in that. But that meant that only 23 could obviously play each match. Yeah. And that meant five people weren't involved. So for me, there was like, there was a real excitement about the World Cup. It was it was in Ireland, so it was based in Dublin. And then the semifinals and finals were in Belfast. And for me, being part of the World Cup was just amazing. I was like, this is great. I couldn't quite believe that I was there um, and that I'd made it to that point. Um, but then during the World Cup, I was one of those five who weren't involved in the match for four out of the five matches. So I actually only got to play one match during the World Cup. Totally. And that for me was just so disappointing. And like for a lot of those three weeks, I was just, I really didn't enjoy it. Mm. Like, and it wasn't the World Cup experience that I kind of had expected. So like, I've learned so much from that experience. Like, Obviously, saying that it's disappointing is a bit of an understatement. Like, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was totally gutting. But the girls that I was on that squad with were so good. And they could see how hard I worked. And I think knowing that they appreciated me being there. Yeah. Even though the coaches maybe didn't see that I needed to be on the pitch or whatever. Um, having them around me and supporting me at that time was really, really important. And I've learned so much from that. Just with regards to, I suppose, resilience and, um, yeah, it, like it made me question why I was doing it. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, I would have been the sort of person who was pretty bad with self-doubt. And from that, I was just like, oh my goodness, maybe I'm not meant to be here. Like, mm. maybe I'm not, like, clearly not good enough to be on the pitch for, for these matches. But yeah. looking back on it, I was one of 28 players within Ireland who was on that World Cup squad so I guess in hindsight I can look back and say okay that was actually something something really good that was something amazing that I achieved to be one of 28 um, and I guess from there I decided right I don't want to be this person who is on the bench anymore I don't want to be the person who is left left behind I want to give the coaches no excuse to yeah. Yeah. to pick me so I guess that experience kind of spurred me on and has made me work harder and <laughs> and just just try my best to to be that person that the coaches can't look past it's amazing I mean like that there's such like an interesting kind of like lesson about humanity in there because I don't know like we we all do it it's like you know like you go to the Olympics and you come 10th and you're gutted but you don't realize that you're like one of like the not point not 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 one percent like most strong people in the whole wide world. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. we've such a weird kind of um, comparison thing. But in that in that kind of moment, like whenever you're you know you're sitting there and you're watching the games, or you know you're at home afterwards, how did you like primarily feel that disappointment? And that that's a maybe a weird question, but 
what I'm trying to get at is, did you experience it as like anger towards yourself? Did you experience it as shame? Did you experience, you know, what was that actually like? And then how did you go about dealing with that? I know that's like a next level <laughs> psychotherapy. I have no yeah. idea how to answer that. But Are you going to help me deal with it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose I was, I was angry. Um, and I was angry because I had spent the past year kind of leading up to that, sacrificing so much for it. And I just felt that it was such a waste. Um, and I, I just, I suppose I, I did feel shame as well because I guess during that year with making sacrifices and choosing rugby over over friends, over family, like missing out on family events, hen parties, weddings, because of rugby, I had sacrificed those things for this great pinnacle that was meant to be the World Cup. And then it just, it just didn't, didn't happen for me. And to be fair, it didn't happen for the team. Like we didn't perform as a squad. Sure. Um, we, we came eighth out of 12. So I was kind of like, well, maybe if they used me, we could have done a bit better. But <laughs> 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 Probably not. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, I did feel a bit ashamed and a bit embarrassed um, by not, not being able to yeah. be as involved as, I'd hope to be. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, like you, you more than most understand what it means to take care of your body. You know what it takes to understand, or you know what it takes to to take care of your health. How you know, gleaning on some of the things you've experienced in that season of your life. How do you now go about kind of taking care of the the battle between your two ears? You know, like how about your mental health and how about um, trying to keep your your mind in. Uh, a positive place as well um yeah like that's definitely something that I've I've had to work on um over the past few years and like it's mainly been through rugby that I have had struggles with like my confidence and, and self-esteem and like doubting myself and thinking I, I shouldn't be here like I'm not good enough to be here mm. um and I suppose it's it's trying to kind of change how you think about things and like I guess I'm just quite a, a negative thinker mm. and for me it's about reflecting on things and seeing what was actually positive about certain scenarios that I maybe didn't see at the time and then going forward and um, if I am facing like a difficult time I will try and see the positive now I'll try and force myself to to look at it from a different perspective and and to see things from maybe another person's point of view and like there have been people in my life that have been so good in helping me see that and helping me change how I think and um, so yeah no I think it's really important to have certain people um supporting you and, and and helping you and just being able to talk to people about about that is so so important and um, yeah and I, I guess through through certain coping strategies as well so um I guess knowing your limits or working out what your limits are and and not going beyond that or not pushing yourself to to breaking point I suppose is is something that I've really learned um, and I'm still still learning at the minute so <laughs> that's amazing thanks so much for going there I, I really appreciate that I think that's really really helpful for for all of us um 
in this season and in general in this country you know i think it's it's great the more we can kind of uh talk about stuff like this the better um yeah. flip side of the, the huge question slightly um a lot more positive but yet equally as, as difficult how about the most successful moment um is there something that you can look back on as uh, you know this is what i'm most proud of so far in my uh 28 years well um <laughs> i think <laughs> okay no big for deal. me <laughs> for me i'd say there's there's probably two big things that that stick out um the first one would be my medical degree so getting wow getting through to the end of medicine um was a big deal and i suppose the my final year of medicine um was pretty stressful because that was kind of the year that I was first involved with the Ireland squad. The, kind, the two things go hand in hand throughout, <laughs> <laughs> throughout the past four or five years. Um, but yeah, that was the first time I was involved with, with Ireland. Um, and during the Six Nations tournaments, um, in the run-up to it through January and the start of February, I was revising for my medical finals, which were in February. So I was looking at you know, potentially getting my first cap for Ireland and also revising for my medical finals. And I remember going down to training camps with my books and with my laptop. We would have done the four training sessions during the weekend, but between sessions and like in the evenings, I would have been sitting down revising. Um, and it was just, it was a bit mental. <laughs> um, and then yeah, actually, two weeks before the Six Nations kicked off, it looked like I was going to be probably starting that first match against Wales. And two weeks before, during a training camp, I started getting palpitations. No. So I was due to be doing my medical finals the week after that match against Wales. Oh, my um, goodness. But it actually ended up, I didn't play that match against Wales and I didn't do my medical finals because I ended up in hospital getting a procedure done on my heart. Mental. So it was just, yeah, it was a crazy time. And at that point, I was like, am I ever going to play for Ireland? Am I going to finish my medical career? Like, what's what's going on here? Yeah. So I had the heart procedure. And then it was actually three weeks later, I managed to get back playing rugby and got my first cap for for Ireland against Italy so yeah I suppose getting that first cap for Ireland that's definitely one of my huge successes and it was a real relief whenever I got onto the pitch to be honest it wasn't it wasn't like I was excited but it was the overwhelming feeling was just relief um so yeah that was one of the successes then obviously with my medical finals I had to defer them so I ended up doing them in May so while all my friends were like out partying, enjoying themselves, <laughs> I was like sitting at home again, revising. So I basically spent that whole year revising and training and yeah, managed to get my, my finals done and got to play for Ireland. So Mate. yeah, those two things are definitely <laughs> up that there. epic. Very, very cool. Yeah. I'm going to ask a super stupid question. And this is a question that I actually should have asked like 10 years ago. Why did they call it a cap? <laughs> like, I know what it means, like, because of the context it's always used in, but why did that, when someone says, like, yeah, yeah, you know, I've had 12 caps for Ireland, like, why do they actually call it a cap? 
That's a really good question. Like I know we get presented with a cap initially, like an, an actual cap. Ah, so there is um, a cap. I see. Yeah, so there is actually a cap. And I just then, pictured like, you know, in your wardrobe at home, like, oh my goodness, 120 hats. Like what are the, where, what, what do we do with all these? <laughs> <laughs> no, so I don't think, I don't think anyone gets a cap for every match they play. Um, but no, we, we, we got a cap for your, for your first, first match for Ireland. That makes and sense. And I know like for, for the guys team, they, the guys get a cap for like their hundred and cool. like, two, two hundredth or whatever. So, um, yeah, there is actually a cap. Okay, okay. I mean, like, that can be in your next contract. You're like, you I will not play unless I receive a physical cap every single game. Thank you very much. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do with them all. <laughs> Class. To be fair, there haven't, there haven't been too many. <laughs> um, so, kind of landing the plane here. There's a couple of quick fire questions. These are the, the easy ones. It's kind of like, you know, this is the, the chance to exhale an interview where it's like, oh my goodness, it's like, woof. We uh, tackled those two monster questions and uh, uh, now for a couple more kind of lighter ones. Uh, what was your favorite, okay. favorite takeaway in Northern Ireland? Oh, that's a really hard question. Oh no, I led you under false pretenses. <laughs> favorite takeaway as in like food. Oh, I <laughs> Obviously. Oh, um, I. oh like... I'm between so many. Um, I love a chippy. Mm. Um, cafe fish in Belfast is great. It, do you know what? I don't care like what anyone says. That is the best chippy in Belfast. It is unbelievable. <laughs> the onion rings from Cafe Fish. Woo! I used to deliver oh, for Cafe Fish. And uh, all the time, like I would, there would be an order and I'd be like, mate, this is the only order I'm tempted just to nab and just eat it. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> Um, and then also flash in the pan in Bush Mills. That's a oof. that's a good one as well. Are we are we local hometown hero? Love it. Yeah. Class. Yeah. Uh, favorite ice cream? In, where's your favorite place to get ice cream in Northern Ireland? Uh, Mods. Honeycomb or Honeycomb. Cuba, whatever they call it. Yeah, whatever uh, Disney has permitted them to, to call it these days. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you know what? I'd love to interview the, the people from Mods and find like get to the bottom of that story because the amount of urban legends flying around about that is unbelievable. I know it's mad. <laughs> um, if you could take slightly harder, if you could take anyone from Northern Ireland um, out for a cup of coffee or whatever, um, dead or alive, who would you take? Where would you take them, and why? Um, who would I take? Anyone from Northern Ireland, dead or alive? Like right now, probably like my mom. <laughs> Mate, best answer. That's... Do it. Ride with it. <laughs> yeah. Your mom will be listening just, to this, just, just tears soaking down her face. <laughs> my Claire. <laughs> just because I haven't seen her in months. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, and where would I take her? I would probably take her to, oh, I'm between 5A and Brew and Beck. I have never heard of Brew and Bake. I'm going to be honest. Oh, seriously? Seriously. Oh, it's so good. So good. Um, I think it's been, it's on Lisbon Road and it's been there ah. probably for maybe about a year. Unreal. And I actually, I only found it in the past year and it's like within walking distance. So Very cool. I, on days off, I love going up there and just sitting with coffee and a wee treat. Unreal. So what are we talking here? Like speciality <laughs> coffee shop sort of vibes? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. very, very Maybe. nice. We'll have to take a jaunt yeah. down there once it's all lifted. Um, yeah. But final question this is the question that we always um, finish on. Um, kind of another moment just to kind of look back, I suppose. But um, if you could go in some sort of a time machine and, um, you know, fly back to, I don't know if you fly in a time machine, but fly, fly back to an 18-year-old Claire and you had a few minutes of her time, what sort of things would you say to her? Um, I would probably say don't care so much about what other people think of you. Because um, I guess fear of what other people's opinions are have kind of stopped me doing certain things mm. over the years. Um, work out what's important to you like early on and don't always be go 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 <laughs> <laughs> um yeah take time out to to rest and recover um and enjoy your life because working and training they're they're not the things that you're gonna look back on and be like oh my goodness that was great mm. um it's it's gonna be the times that you spend making memories with people so i suppose yeah having your priorities right um is pretty important that's awesome um do you want to talk about dr squats just in closing i thought that was the best name ever <laughs> I know. So, yeah this is a relatively new thing which hasn't really kicked off yet so i'm currently setting up a website or blog um called www.dr-squats.com and it's something that i've kind of been thinking about for the past couple of years and kind of been wanting to do I've like opened my laptop so many times and started writing articles, but then stopped because I'm like, oh, what if what if this person thinks that's a bit weird? Or, <laughs> do you know, I, I just haven't done it. And I think I think I do have a lot of things that I want to say. Like I'm quite a quiet person, but I feel like I've learned so much over the years that mm. I feel like I, I could write a blog that could potentially be useful for people or people might find interesting. So yeah, that's hopefully coming soon. Um, if I get a few more articles put together. Um, so yeah, watch this space. It's awesome. Go for it. It's going to be class. <laughs> very, very cool. Well, Claire, honestly, thank you so much for um, giving us your time, especially uh, just that we kind of are before you go on shift. So I really, really appreciate that. And I uh, hope you have a great rest of your day. And just honestly, I really appreciate everything that you um, shared. Really class. It's no problem at all. Thank you so much for having me on. Deadly. And thank you very much for listening. Really, really appreciate you making it all the way through to the end. Uh, hope you enjoyed the last kind of hour or so with us. Uh, hope it was beneficial, whether you are maybe out on a wee walk yourself, uh, getting your daily dose of green. That could be taken the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, But if you would be interested in finding uh, out some more interesting people from Northern Ireland, uh, you can check out our back catalogue of over 150 interviews, just like this one. Uh, with some of the incredible people who are proud to call this place home. And you can find that over at bestofbelfast.org. Hi, I'm Rebecca, creative at Lines and Current, an online jewellery and accessories brand. And I live in East Belfast with my husband, John, who also works on our business with me and our three kids. I like listening to the Best of Belfast podcast because I really love to hear the nitty gritty stuff that comes with those types of unfiltered conversations that Matt has with his local guests. 
I'd say my favourite episode was probably that one with Grace Chambers, the 91-year-old park run record holder. I think for us, um, we really like what Matt is doing and we've loved supporting what he's doing. Um, He seems to just be shining a light on the Northern Irish people, community and exposing all those untold stories. So yeah, if you've been on the fence about joining the Producers Club and you'd miss Best of Belfast if it wasn't there, I'd recommend you consider joining today. You can do so over at bestofbelfast.org and I look forward to seeing you in the WhatsApp group soon.